It was planning to have every day be your best day. And you plan your treatment and you look ahead. Because the worst part is to lose hope and become depressed. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Life Podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. Hello everyone! Happy 2021! This is our first episode of New Year, first episode of fourth season of the Ballet Dance Life podcast. I can't imagine we already have accomplished like three years of the podcast going into our fourth one and looking forward for all cool conversations, amazing guests and interesting discoveries that we are gonna have in this upcoming year. We are opening our new season with a couple interview. Today our guests are Mashuka and Carl Sermon. So it's double portion of excitement and joy and interesting knowledge that we will be exposed today to. <laughs> Mashuka is known for instructing dancers in the art of ballet dance for many years. She began dancing in 1973 and immersed herself in the dance genre totally. She is world-renowned as the first performer with Isis Swings, creating and dancing with them 30 years ago. She developed Mashuka's method, which provides dancers a unique structure for creating their own signature performances and dancing with finger symbols specifically that capture the musicality of Middle Eastern music and presenting dance that captures the hearts and minds of audiences worldwide. Her lifelong partner Carl Sherman is the premier photographer to the San Francisco Bay Area Middle Eastern dance community. He is known for images that capture the Yahabibi golden moments of dance. The key to his success is over 30 years of performance photography experience, knowledge of the music and the dance form, and the expertise to anticipate the best moment to photograph the most favorable image of the dancer. And this is just a little introduction to their activities. In this interview, you will definitely discover many more sides of this artistic, creative, an innovative couple, as well as dive deeper into each aspect that I mentioned already so far. I'm very happy and very excited to open our new season of podcast episodes with this conversation. And I know you missed the new episodes, a new portion of inspiration. So without any further delays, let's dive in. Hello, dear Mashuka and Carl, and such a pleasure to have you our first uh, uh, recording and first episode of 2021. So how are you doing? <laughs> oh, we're excited that we're it's doing good. 2021 and hopefully the year will be better other than yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the worldwide most uh, popular wish of this past new year. Like, next year be better. <laughs> oh, definitely. 
I'm very excited to talk in so many different topics and questions, and you have such a rich story and history and experience uh, in our like belly dance community. But I would love to start from the very beginning. Uh, can you please tell our listeners how did you how did you got um, how did you get introduced? into Baladin's world. What was the very first encounter that caught your attention? And then you, you thought, ah, oh, that may be interesting. <laughs> yes, well, I think many people can relate to this need, and that is the need to get some exercise. I was a graduate student, and I looked for something that could be a convenient weekly exercise, and I found belly dancing for one hour a week. Well, the alternative was six hours a week with a Polynesian troupe. That's too much time. <laughs> well, over time, I did both. I did do Polynesian later. but So I got hooked, and I loved it. And pretty soon, I was taking three classes a week. Wherever I could find a class, I took a class, and I love it. And that was 46 years ago. 1973. Yeah. <laughs> 47 years ago. Oh, wow. And... Uh, um... You met each other before you met Belladance. <laughs> Let's put it this way. <laughs> so I assume, Carl, you were you were introduced to the Belladance world through Mashuka. And what was your first impression and opinion about that? Well, leading back up uh, a lot of years, and I first saw belly dancing in a movie that starred Burl Ives. This predates a lot of things, and they had a. The belly dancer, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, that's before we met and got married. Long before. <laughs> ah. Yeah, we were married five years, and then that's when I discovered belly dance. Ah, interesting. And I'm really curious to ask this question uh, because that's a pinpoint for so many belly dancers who are in relationships. Either they're already active dancers and they meet someone who may not really like, or even more tough a situation that they are already in a relationship, they get excited and passionate about belly dance, but their partner is not really sharing their joy. <laughs> so, uh, if you don't mind uh, uh, maybe being honest, I don't know, Sharon, what was for you in the beginning? And if it was already like with a joy and excitement or you went through some stages that you maybe had to discover what exactly was interesting and joyful about belly dance? Like how, how for you from a point of view of par being a partner for someone who started doing belly dance? Yes. Well, as you know, when you have a passion for something, you want to spend more time doing that. That does that may exclude your partner. Um, but for us, we have a basic operating set, if you will, a system. We were both also professionals in, in our careers. I, I Carl worked in high tech and computers and, and nuclear energy, and I worked actually in education, administration, healthcare. So actually, we had a lot going on. Um, so there are several things that we discovered and discussed over time. One is no children. If you don't have that responsibility and added burden, if you will, then you can do more. The second, because we were active professionals, I would be gone. But he also was gone on business trips. So we would come up with a motto, we'll see you in retirement. 
and we would just spend the time that we needed to to teach at night, to yeah. do shows at night. He would go to most all my um, gigs Classes when I was too. dancing. But if I did a restaurant, no, he did, he wouldn't go to that. You know, yeah, I, I did go to some of those. Yeah, but that's what was the promise was I'll see you in retirement. But um, after many years, Carl was taking pictures, and he became the professional photographer for dancers. So it was very natural for us to go to everything together. Mm, but that's a, a interesting way to really commit for long-term relationships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Carl, for you, what was your first, if you remember, like reaction or emotions that? Mashuka came and said, oh, I'm taking ballet dance classes. Oh, yeah, it goes back to us living in an apartment in the north part of San Jose. But I was teaching at San Jose State Engineering, writing notes, and she was in the front room listening to her music and practicing her zills. And I could tell when she was dancing and not and trying to do her zills because the zills were off. <laughs> until I discovered, <laughs> until I discovered my method of dancing and playing zills. But you know, from the traditional method of you play and you play, and then somehow, oh, now you're supposed to stand up and dance. That was very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you've been taught, but that's what it was back then. People played the patterns, but they didn't dance, and then you were expected to do both. Yes, yes. But very accomplished now. I mean, for many years as dancer and zo player and fascinating rhythms and, and get improv real <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> Comes from a lot of years of classes. But it's so nice that you still remember that environment and hearing like zills in the neighboring room. <laughs> It's also interesting, you mentioned that uh, you chose, you were searching for ballad, like, you found ballad dance classes while you were looking for some exercises to bring into your life. But also I noticed that in your, uh, many of your biographies or like some uh, uh, notes about ballad dance, you refer to ballet dance as a uh, stress reliever solution for you back then. Yes, absolutely. And I, I could become another person. I'm a Gemini <laughs> by the horoscope, and I truly am two different people. I, I was a, you know, educator, manager, um, problem solver, a small business advisor on one side, and then I could retreat back from all the stress to belly dance and be Mashuka. As the artist. Uh -huh. mm. What do you think is that component in belly dance that um, makes it good as a stress uh, uh, stress managing tool? <laughs> escape. It's a nice escape, but the reality is, is moving to the music, becoming one with the music. That is a reality. That's you lose yourself in it, and um, the movement feels good when when you're moving with the music. Mm. But do you find that it's something special about ballet dance, or in general, like moving to the music, dance uh, activity uh, in general, or 
in your opinion, is there anything specific as belly dance that attracts people who want to manage or deal with stress? Yes, well, women will initially start because they either want to lose weight or want to um, learn something creative. Um, they may not have had dance before, or they may come from dance. They want to re return to dance um, and learn a new form. Um, but in every case, if it brings you joy from your passion, that's part of the stress relief. Yeah, that's a, such a nice uh, reminder. And uh, just continuing uh, the topic that we touched briefly, like maybe you're in relationship for such a long time and you probably went through very different like stages as all couples who are like in a long time, but maybe you have something that you can advise dancers who do find this joy and do find this like whatever stress relief or just passion or happiness in dance but maybe they don't get that much support from their partners. How to navigate and deal with that? Yes, that's a difficult part. We've advised many dancers um, who um, are at that point in their dance career where they have a lot of professional opportunities to either teach and or tour, um, and they don't have children yet, but they're in a relationship or they're married, and they've asked us about whether or not they should have children. And, you know, ha not having had any, I can't advise people about what it might, how to juggle all of that with children. Um, but that is one thing, you know, to think about um, your time together and what is your family? How is that defined for you? Um, if it includes children, then that's, you need to have that discussion with your partner. But even with with the issue with or without children. The other is, um, what part do you play in each other's relationship? So I couldn't go and travel the world for his nuclear engineering work um, or computer work, and that's just how it is. That's his profession. So the, he saw my dancing as the same thing, you know, that I would travel, and I even lived in Germany for three months and danced, even though we were married for 10 years at that time because that's what I wanted to do and could do. So you make room in your lives for that. But again, due to the promise we made of see we'll you, see you in retirement, literally, quite literally, for our regular jobs once, we were going through the Dallas International Airport at the same time. But he was on a different airline and going to Europe, and I was coming back from the East Coast. Cell phones were new. We just had time to talk to each other on the cell phone. That's where we came up with the compromise. I'll see you in retirement. <laughs> so that's what happens. Um, to be realistic, you have to have that conversation, not just once, but it's a, continuous. a continuing understanding sure, of how uh, your life is going to be. It's a renegotiation all the time. But it's all also not just about time commitment or scheduling. It's also about all the stereotypes around belly dance. And that many partners, they don't want to see their girlfriends or wives like doing belly dance, especially when we are talking about professional activity as a belly dance. Uh, for me, I'm very secure how I feel about Mashuka and what dance really means to her and to the audience and how we are received and how we re 
we receive people. And uh, it really boils down to how secure are you in your own relationship. So mm-hmm. the dance is just part of us. It's it's just part of us now. <laughs> it has been for a long time, and we look forward to it. Yes, fortunately, Carl has found a, a niche, if you will, something to do that uh, everyone values in the dance world with his photography. Well, more than just photography, I've set up more stages <laughs> with lighting and audio and packing more stuff. I mean, <laughs> half the garage is filled with audio and, and light stands and theatrical lighting. I've set all that up. One man <laughs> a job. And doing the video and doing this, the, the photography. That's my niche. Uh, gosh, we used to travel back east several times a year and down to Texas and uh, do the full setups. So throughout your life, you basically, uh, at some point, both of you had to two careers. One, your own, like, main career, like, I don't know, main or not, but, like, uh, uh, let's say professional careers not in the dance world. And the second one, it still was in the ballet dance world, like, one for more performing and artistic and dance performance and another probably organization before even photography started um, being part of your like uh, main activity but it probably was like logistics organization because you also did a lot of festivals and events and workshops together that you sponsored and organized so how is the in general experience of uh, working together on dance uh dance events we've always had uh we before the Rakasa festival which was almost 40 years now um we used to have people invited to our yard we'd have a hundred dancers show we would do workshops all day in our tiny studio and had vendors all over our, our all yard. Over the yard yes and so sort of like um I don't know, very free days of all of our, our friends who were almost like hippies would make finger symbols and jewelry. And um, and so that was fun. We started that way. And then over the years, we've done many hoflas um, where we would have it at a hotel or a restaurant. restaurant and then set up all the lighting and, and offer the dancers an opportunity to dance. Um, so we've always done that. So people have known us together as a team presenting events for people. Yeah, your part was organization and people, and my part was all the backstage. Mm-hmm. And now, during COVID, since there aren't festivals, what we're working on is I write articles for the Belly Dance Chronicles magazine, which is online and free. Um, and I write articles, and then Carl goes into his archives and finds photos of all these people that we've known who are professionals. So, for instance, in the next one we've got, uh, we did one of Jelena. I've done two biographies of Jelena. George Lamam is a wonderful violinist, and he has um, a group. Ed Malikian is an Armenian oud player from back east. And I worked with him in 1974 and 1976. Isn't that amazing? You may have heard of the George Abdo Flames of Araby Orchestra. He was with that orchestra. Yes. So I did his um, biography and reviewed his music. So I'm spending time doing that, and then we pull together stories and pictures, and and that's what we're doing. Yes. Mm. 
And how how did you start photographing? Was it your active interest or did it start naturally just, oh, you need a photographer and you start uh, doing photos for dancers? <laughs> well, actually, many the very first time, uh, the photographer didn't show up at oh, one yeah. festival. Oh, no. And they said, Carl, do you Get, have your photograph? Do you have your camera? I and, said, yes. And without a tripod, he did, you know, the 30 hours of photography holding. Hand oh, no. Non-stop, 12-hour days. Yes. And people would forget, like <laughs> this one, would forget that I'm there. No water, no, no food, food. <laughs> no breaks. No breaks. And that happened at several. That people had uh, paid a photographer from the year before and never received their photos. So they would say, Carl, we heard that you do photos. And then all the dancers would say, am I going to get my photos? Oh, Until yeah. over time they, they knew that they could trust Carl. But that's how we got into it. He was already taking photos. And we would give copies free to the dancers of beautiful photography from years ago now. Years. Probably years. 35 years of, of good photos. Hmm. Very good photos. So what's your secret of taking such a good photos? <laughs> oh, uh, one, it's all the timing. You have to know the dance, forms and, and backs. And the music. And the music. There's no question about that. You got to know what they might do you have to anticipate ahead of what the dancer is dancing and you have to be set up for it uh the other thing is lighting is the last thing that most producers forget you know about bad lighting uh it's notorious so you have to wait till the dancer gets to the right spot <laughs> in the stage doing the right pose at the right time in the music and you pop your shots and then of course Prior to opening the festival, I walk the stage, and if we can aim the lights, I want to make sure we have the best coverage. And then I tell everyone to the stage manager backstage, tell every dancer, dance in a V shape. That's where the lighting is. <laughs> Don't come up to the audience in the middle. There's usually no lighting. light right in dark. front in the center. That makes for bad shots. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. <laughs> Can you give any tips for event organizers what they should think about in terms of lighting to make sure it's not only good presentation but good photos afterwards? Oh, uh, most of the facilities, the producers have no control over the lighting. It's not like a professional uh, theater. It's specific auditoriums and other places and they have lighting that's set up uh, for other things, and they put some light on the stage. And most of the time, the producers and the facilities just don't get around to redoing the lighting. Many times I have to provide my own lighting to augment what there is and to, to make it work. Plus, uh, if you watch a lot of the photos I've taken, most of the people have their heads up in a nice dramatic pose because that's where the lighting is. <laughs> and I'm backstage telling dancers to do that. Yeah. Don't look down at your Don't audience. Don't look down. Don't dance in get, the first row because it doesn't yeah, work. It'll look funny. Look up and look then up. down at your audience. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I can also add uh, one tip from me or more uh, exactly from my husband, who is also a photographer. <laughs> Even for event organizers, for smaller venues that you may not have control over lightings, don't forget, there is very easy ways to rent lights and just a beam of like straight white light that is not expensive to rent can really make not only the effect for performance great, but photographer's life much easier and uh, much happier participants <laughs> afterwards seeing their own photos. <laughs> the other thing is, don't use flash. Yeah. It's very harsh and it really ruins the photos for other photographers that are set up for ambient lighting. Uh, when a flash pops off, Everything is burned out. You look like a ghost. <laughs> yeah, that's a good reminder for audience members too. <laughs> so, whoever listen, whoever listen as a man dances, whenever you invite your relatives and friends, ask them not to use flash. <laughs> yeah, it's important. Mm. I also know that you have very, um, let's say close and long-term relationship with teaching in Germany. <laughs> Not only all over the world, but a lot. Um, you must you teach and you even worked at some point there uh, in the, with the shows and restaurants. So uh, how was your, how did it start that you, uh, from, I believe you were back then in San Francisco and then uh, you start teaching in Germany. What was your first trip? Well, I actually had a private student who came to the U.S. on a contract to do some um, translation for a company. And she would come and she said, I think you don't have any children. Um, would you like to come to Germany and I will sponsor you? I'll find some, um, I'll set up some seminars and workshops. And um, so I said, oh. I'm just finishing my MBA, and they don't pay you more money the next day in the same job. And especially, I was working in nonprofit healthcare for mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood. And so I said, okay, I think I'll take a break. So I went to Germany for three months and had a wonderful time. I mean, live music. I had three bands, three restaurants. I would dance all night and sleep in till noon. And, and, uh, Oh, and I taught um, jazzercise and I taught belly dance. So between all of that and, yeah. It so was, it was your student time. organized all these events or uh, they just invited you for workshops and then you somehow found uh, the restaurant to perform at? Right. And then, and then I uh, found the restaurants and the, the Turkish community sort of took me in. And um, I, I, yeah, the bands, you know, set up things. So I... I I danced in several different restaurants every night. And you already probably had a experience of dancing and performing uh, in your uh, your city too, right? Before going to Germany. I did. And fortunately for me, the, there were several key things that made dancing in Germany possible, which you don't even think of before you go. Um, one of the favorite bands in this area was Sirocco and they're not, no longer playing, but uh, one of the lead oud uh, violin singers, players, 
um, was raised in Turkey. His father was, I think, general counsel to a diplomat to Turkey. So he was raised in Istanbul, and he loved the music of Turkey, and he even toured Europe with a Turkish band. So I didn't know this, but half the music I learned was real Turkish music. And, of course, then there's Arabic music and Armenian music and everything. So I go there, and I can't speak to the bands. It is either Turkish or German. And so but I hummed a few tunes, played my finger cymbals, and we would put shows together. Yeah. That was a good solution through international language of music. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and here's one, one experience that I need to relate to to dances of the world. The internet is very different now and you have Uber and, and all of that. Um, but I, the very first night I took a taxi home at 5.30 in the morning. Oh. And this is, and this is winter, so it is very dark. And, cool. and I told him, uh, you know, I live at uh, Rila Strasse and he took me, oh, it's like all of the worst um, places that people are going to be murdered at a um, abandoned industrial area and we're going to this area and I'm thinking I don't even know how to talk to this man but I think he's going to kill me ah. yes so he turns around he says to me and I had only been there for about a week I didn't know many words but this is but this is is it this or is it that yes this is very universal and with this so I, he, I, he says, I said, Das Rilas Rasa? Das Rilas Rasa. And, and I said, oh, the other one. I said, this one. I pointed to his hand. And he took me to the right place. Oh. I had mispronounced the name of my street. <laughs> but I thought I was going to be murdered. Well, the good story that results from that is I could trust this man. <laughs> so you also find how to pay someone in a foreign currency if you don't know, but you're a dancer and you have a lot of tips. So I start paying him and he gets really happy. So I take a few back and he gets really good. So I give him, so now I know how much to pay. <laughs> ah, that's so funny. I know. So I could trust this man. So now I have the um, people at the restaurant talk to this cab driver and get him to be my cab driver for the entire three months that I was there. At 5.30 in the morning. Every 5.30 in the morning, he's there to take me home and to take me to the other restaurants in between. When I <laughs> so, that's how you find trust. Well, <laughs> <But> fortunately, <laughs> he's probably was mm -hmm. very happy to have a regular job too. <laughs> you performed at home and you performed also in Germany, uh, actually like restaurant performances. I know it was for Turkish restaurant, probably was mostly Turkish audience, but did you find any differences in terms of audience perception of ballet dance back then in like at your home uh, performing in restaurants and in Germany? Well, actually in Germany there was a difference. Difference between German audiences because I had some where there was a private, you know, banquet uh -huh. or something and I danced for just Germans, and then the restaurants where it was mostly Turkish people. Vast difference. The Germans are very quiet, and they smile, very, maybe smile, very and you can't tell if they like you. Right? Um, 
and then the Turkish people, it is Middle Eastern. It's it's Arabic. It's all over. They they actually need to say something like Yalla or Habibi, you're so beautiful. Or they say words and then they sing along with the songs and they clap. Very different because that's the Arabic way. You're supposed to encourage the entertainer, the singer, the musician, and tell them how wonderful um, they're doing and playing and how and to inspire them. Here, it, same thing happens, though. If you were at the ballet or the opera, you wouldn't clap, say, oh, bravo, during the performance. You do it after. So the German audiences were like that. They were very enthusiastic at the end. Here in the U.S., for dancing for regular Americans, it, it's pretty quiet. They pretty don't say like that, they yeah. don't say you know anything. Uh, but if you have a mixture of Greeks or Turks or Arabs, then they will. If they know the song, they'll sing along, and it's it's much more joyful. Mm. <laughs> but that's different. Yeah. But that's yeah. universal. Yes. Yes. Um, And I just got a, a funny uh, question in my mind. I'm just poking. Maybe, maybe we'll find something there. But I'm really curious uh, to ask Carl. <laughs> As a photographer, you are very often right in the middle of audience. I'm usually shooting behind all the audience, or I'm in a platform. Uh, yes, in the middle of the audience. Yeah. Or between and the vendors yeah but very often it's literally like you are in the audience you see what people sometimes you may even hear the people <laughs> talking uh, did you find any do you maybe recount any funny situations that people maybe did not realize that or oh, you are a photographer and uh, you are also a husband of a performer and they either you saw them like maybe like also dancing or like some funny stories or anything like for you being in the middle of the audience. <laughs> uh, we're such a fixture for a lot of these festivals that these people we've seen year after year after year and they know us. Ah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's not quite like a party, uh, but They come up to me later and you know, to convey their gratu congratulations for Mashuka's performance. To you? To me, uh, to relate nice. to her. Behind uh -huh. <laughs> changed and will come out later, but they wanted to, they're so enthusiastic at that point, they come back and we shake hands and hugs and whatnot, and, and they convey their appreciation and Uh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, speaking about dancers, uh, you not only produced a lot of uh, dance events, uh, but you also raised a lot of uh, successful dancers. <laughs> and you even know for uh, Mashuka teaching method. Uh, so you can you tell a little bit about uh, about this for dancers who may not be familiar and maybe share uh, a couple of your teaching secrets <laughs> with our audience? Yes, actually, um, it comes from, of course, many years in my own experience. But I can uh, point people to the last Belly Dance Chronicles, 
I had my article about dancing in Germany, and I did give several tips about what I learned for dancing. One is my method of teaching finger symbols and rhythms and dancing. So I always taught here in the U.S. that if you can realize that uh, words and music are really like poetry, and when you read poetry it or has it has a rhyme, like a nursery rhyme for children. And a rhythm. Yes, so I will start with uh, something like Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And dance it. It turns into a rhythm. Now, it's impossible to say Jack and Jill went down the hill and say the words for Humpty Dumpty because it doesn't fit. The rhythm doesn't fit. The rhythm doesn't fit the words. So when dancers just play symbols, da da dum da da dum da da dum, they're going to dance that way. They're going to gallop, da da dum da da dum da da dum da da dum. So it's important to have phrasing. Words um, like sentences in um, a song have a phrase. So does the music have a phrase? I think this is my opinion that your finger symbols and your dance must match the music, the rhythm and the musicality, or the phrasing. Now, I've danced the world over, Egypt, Greece, Turkey, you know, for Turkish people, Japan, and the musicians have never said, please don't do that. They always say, oh, my goodness, you make it sound really good because I'm playing with them. The secret is I play three ways. You can play the rhythm, as in some songs have four different rhythms throughout and they switch around. You can play the melody and you can play accents. So you do syncopation and you do counter rhythms. Um, and those are the three ways to play it. So I found in Germany, I was using my American nursery rhymes to teach the Germans. <laughs> they don't know them. <laughs> they didn't know them. Now, I didn't think of Brahms lullaby or you know some German that I couldn't think. But I was listening to the radio one day and it was Christmas time. So I heard da 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 and I thought, okay, I know that. I'll sing it in class, play my finger symbols, and we'll dance to that. Well, I taught that and they did this. They stood there and I thought, oh, what is this? It is a European national anthem. Yes. So they just put that It's like dancing to our national anthem or whatever have you. So but they knew it. Yeah. So then all of a sudden they could play their finger symbols really fast and move Actually. to this music. Yeah. And that was the secret. So I found if you connect people to the rhythm and the melody, they can play and they can dance. I have had people come to a festival saying, you're teaching a class on workshops and dancing. I just bought these. <laughs> can I do this? And in 15 minutes they're dancing and playing finger symbols. Mm. Because it's already in us. So so that is the Mashuka method for finger symbols and dance. And it relates to my other method is, I think the best dancing, yes, is improvisation because Arabic music, they improvise. So if you listen to the CD and learn it correctly, and then you get that same um, band live, it's, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be different. Because they want to, oh, the audience, and right here I want to hold that note a little bit longer, you know. And so you need to learn to improvise. What does that mean? 
going with the flow. You need to be aware that they may elongate a note. Um, they may cut something shorter. <laughs> and you need to do that with your body when you dance. Mm -hmm. So my Mashuka method is in part rhythms and dancing and zills, but also improvisational dancing to the musicality. So one of the things dancers should do, listen to a piece of music, take a white piece of paper and a, a pen, and like a Geiger counter or see an earthquake happening, where's the music going? La, da, da, da. La, da, da, da. And then listen to the music and look at that, what you've just written, you'll dance better. Because mm, you'll so see that. Almost uh, a cardiology uh, graphics <laughs> of the music. Yeah, yeah. You're graphing the music. And once you begin to do that, you connect with it. You connect with it. But also one uh, comment that I wanted to make about your way uh, method of teaching Zills is that basically it helps naturally to get out of habit to play triple this triples or triple rhythm on zills all the time because then it pushes you to do different patterns on zill yeah and finger symbols are all about sound and no sound and timing <laughs> we don't have different notes so i use a number system and i'll give people that one takes up a space but if you have two then it's one one two if you have the triplets or one two three one one two da 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 one two three have four four is interesting it's like a train going over track i think i can i know i can da 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 and if you do a weight change as you do each one of these now you can move when you dance if you stand there and play your cymbals you'll never dance and play your cymbals oh, if yeah. you dance with your weight now you can dance yes same thing with shimmies if you stand in place you you can't do a shimmy and, and move but if you shimmy and you change your weight now you can use your shimmy mm. and how often you alternate uh different sounds on zills well here's the thing and the other principle then is use either hand You know why? In Germany, I could not say right, right, left, right in German. So, and I'm not going to say right, left, right. That's English. So it's one, two, one, one, two, one. Because that's the sound. One, two, one. Mm -hmm. One, one, two, one, one, two, one, one, two, one. And if you do that, it's better than saying one, two, three, because one, two, three, one, two, three. People get caught up. One, two, one, one, two, one, one, two, one. Mm. But also zills, like you can produce different sounds on zills. So in your rhythmic uh, structures, how often you kind of alternate and suddenly bring different quality of sound in the zills? Or you kind of like more go, let's say you choose one of the sounds and you go through the rhythmic structure more using one, like let's say sound of the zills. Sure, because you know, you can do them together or just think, right? Yeah, there's different sounds, or just the edges. Mm -hmm. mm, it's alternating. And uh, how about uh, your teaching activities now? Especially in this very, uh, let's say, interesting times. <laughs> very challenging times. Um, since COVID has started in March, I have taught in the studio for 
two weeks because you need to socially distance. You cannot be in an enclosed area, uh, even restaurants, um, churches, whatever. So um, I have this beautiful studio, and I'm teaching out on the driveway in the afternoon. (laughs) Yes, so it's okay to exercise outside. So many of the gyms have moved their uh, equipment outside. So I actually hold classes on a beautiful, now we put glitter on it, and the driveway looks pretty, but it's at an angle. So we really can't move. It's sloped, yes. Um, But I got that idea from Amaya of New Mexico was teaching outside in a patio. and She now has snow. She can't do it. And Dionise of Novato, she um, yeah, has been teaching outside. She's teaching on her driveway, too. Mm. Are you trying to incorporate online teaching in your practice? I haven't. Um, Because of the audio lag, I want to teach finger symbols, you know, and it doesn't work well. Um, It would be difficult for people to do that. So, yeah, I always teach finger symbols when I teach class. Mm. Well, that's something exciting for people to remember whenever they travel. Uh, They can have opportunity to get and attend your class uh, and enjoy now sunny weather outdoor dancing, but also practice their zills, whichever class they take from you. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) How about you? Have you been teaching? Well, I have been teaching online for a long time before even COVID started. So basically all my classes, they are uh, either online courses or pre-recorded classes. So for me, uh, COVID did not interfere with my activities much because I already was, I kind of switched from performance activities to teaching online, little like half a year, year before COVID. <laughs> so so that was for me the, the transition. Also related to current situation of COVID, I know a lot of people are struggling with uh, um, health issues, uh, both physically and uh, like mentally, psychologically. So even for people who didn't maybe catch COVID or any other diseases, it's very difficult psychologically. Uh, to go through all these times and things. And I wanted to ask uh, a little bit about um, your experience, because I know you're both cancer survivors. And yes, it's not COVID, but it's still health issues and stuff that gets both physically and mentally and psychologically to you. And uh, uh, especially for you, Mashuka, like as an active dancer... And coming back to dancing or trying to not lose joy in dancing or physical activity or hope. Like, can you share a little bit from this perspective and maybe also give some um, suggestions or speak to people who may now struggle with health issues and uh, maybe they can somehow incorporate uh, this joy from dancing and trying to find the health. So if you can share a little bit of your story, and uh, that would be great. <laughs> well, that's a very good question. And what um, many people may not know about me was my first career, I was a health educator. So <laughs> with that, it means that I'm very conscious of uh, maintaining health, exercising, um, diet. All of that is really important. 
Um, so as we went through our, both of us had cancer, so we went through that, it was planning to have every day be your best day. And you plan your treatment and you look ahead. Because the worst part is to lose hope and become depressed. And I think everyone with COVID that's happening now is becoming depressed and hopeless that they've lost what they had before. Yes, you have. But you need to think about the future. I remember, yeah, create a new normal, whatever that is for you. So what I want to show you is in our studio, um, Carl and I actually work out for two hours every day. Can you see? We have our <laughs> health equipment um, all lined up, and that's what we do. We um, stream, <laughs> and so the time goes by, but we actively um, engage in exercise at least two hours a day. And then, of course, I have my classes, so that helps too. Um, but it's really important to reach out to people. That's another uh, part of it. And have discussions. Uh, for instance, one of the uh, dancers I know um, has just fallen. And she was walking, to, turned around, talked to someone, and fell over. Hurt her wrist and her shoulder. She'll have to have surgery. And she, of all people, is the author of a whole balance exercise series for seniors to prevent falls. Yes. She just so I know. So I just told her, I said, okay, now you're going to use your balance exercise regimen. You're going to do that. And you're going to discover more information about how seniors can recuperate, become healthy at 78. And I'm sure she will. And she's already found out, even though she's had pain for several days, she can still dance. It may be her wrist and her shoulder, but she can move her legs and she can express and, uh, and move to music. So she's already taking my advice of don't stop. Do something to make that day wonderful. If it's listening to the music and find out you have a hand, the other hand that can move to the music, something. That's really important. But if give it up then you'll say oh I can't I could that was me before it's gone and so that's really important um, the only thing I wish I had learned is when I went bald I I didn't know that I could henna my bald head <laughs> and if I had to do it again and if I ever get bald again I will henna my head <laughs> I've seen a model who, who had breast cancer, and she had her head uh, handed. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mm. Yes. That's the thing. Always um, make sure you hydrate properly, you know, stretch, exercise, um, and then mentally stay in touch with other people. And uh, that's why writing my articles is so therapeutic. I reach, reach out to people, and I learn something from um, what they share. Hmm. But I also liked how you put like uh, uh, make if you cannot plan uh, too much in advance or like too much struggle right now, just try to make every day be the best day for you, whatever it means, whatever it is. Uh, uh, but not losing, um, not losing eager to enjoy life or taste yes. to enjoy life. Like I would say, oh, that's, that's beautiful. Right. Like you were doing and reaching out to to dancers and interviewing them, you're doing that as well. I yes. appreciate that. Uh, yes, and uh, 
even our listeners right now plug in and deciding to listen it's also the way to reach out and also thank you for sharing your story and uh, uh, allowing people to connect uh, with your experience and uh, your insights into your dance life um, and I would love to ask like for 2021 what are your hopes, expectations, maybe any projects uh, that you would love to share with our listeners, anything coming up, or just maybe hopes or plans, your creative plans for 2021. <laughs> well, for me, it's the making of the rhinestone masks is becoming, you know, very fulfilling. And to see them now from Tokyo to Greece to Canada to all over the United States, It's nice to see the dancers wear them and they have smiles in their eyes because um, I've told everyone, say this, oh, you've noticed my glittery mask? I can't wait to dance again. I'm a belly dancer. <laughs> and It's beautiful. You can yes. stop in the grocery store and says, where did you get that mask? Because <laughs> <laughs> you'll wear the glittery ones to go buy groceries. Yes. <laughs> That's absolutely awesome. So that's the one thing. But the second thing is I'm beginning, I've written many people's biographies uh, about dance, but I've realized that I probably have a book that I could create that's already in file. Um, all of it on my teaching and all of it on my what I've learned and choreography and my interviews with musicians and what I've learned. Um, I think it's all there. I just need to organize that. So... With Amazon publishing, I think that's going to be possible in this next year. Oh, wow, that's exciting. And your glittery masks, like I just saw uh, right before we started interview, I saw two new of them, and they're absolutely amazing. So I would love to ask uh, you, where can dancers uh, connect with you and follow? Do you have any maybe a favorite social media where you share your current activities and uh, both dance-wise and this absolutely um, fabulous uh, glittering masks there can maybe see <laughs> see your current Facebook. creations. Facebook I post when, when I've got new ones and then we post them to Carl's website, his uh, carlsermonphotography.zenfolio.com and there is a page of my masks there. The whole gallery. Uh, and a gallery of masks. Um, so that's where they can see them. Um, but it's been fun. I've even made some masks for children too who are, they wouldn't wear a mask and now they, they love their masks. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So you're so both... That's, that's both maintaining your uh, previous roles like as a creative uh, one and as a photographer because I assume you're taking photos of those masks, <laughs> Carl. For me, I have archives of photos. I mean, it's just probably close to a million photos of dancers over the years. So it's when people ask about previous uh, festivals that want their photos finally, I could go back 10, 15 years and pull their photos. And you know something? They look younger. <laughs> I always tell dancers, yes, you'll want to order your past photos because that costume looked wonderful and so did you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But you know that because your husband's a photographer, yes? Does he do video and photography? Well, he started, he had to start to doing videos. Actually, he 
uh, he's also a musician, so it's like all in one. <laughs> That's wonderful. So what does he play? What what instrument? Drums, darbuka. Oh, drums. Oh, good, yes, good, yes. excellent. <laughs> so before I ask uh, our summary question, we have one traditional question of the podcast. But before that, I once again just want to uh, thank you so much for finding time and connecting and sharing and uh, uh, there's so much many I don't know such warm and fun stories <laughs> that is definitely one of the best ways to definitely like reach and connect with each other uh, even if not live but through our Uh, headsets of listening to each other and uh, I'm pretty sure many people got smile on their face right now like uh, listening to, to our uh, interview so thank you very much for being with us and finding time and I really really appreciate it <laughs> thank you Ilana thank for you. asking us and, and for inviting both of us to be in, um, on the interview with you we appreciate that and I can tell you really love the dance Yeah, Aww. you must send me your dress I'd love to send you a mask. Oh, that would be absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> so we will have a special photo shoot with my husband <laughs> for the mask. Very good. Um, and I would love to summarize. We have one traditional question, which I ask absolutely all uh, guests, regardless of the topic that we uh, talked about during the actual like uh, conversation. But uh, I will slightly adapt because I still want to address it somehow to both of you. But the question is... The original one will be more like to Mashuka and then adapted one more to Carl. But the uh, original one question is, what makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? And for Carl, I will adapt it. What will make you fall in love with belly dance related activities so you keep doing them for so many years? <laughs> well, I know as a dancer... When I connect with the music and the music flows through me and becomes a movement, I get an emotional high. I literally have a passion for this and it feeds my soul. Um, it makes me not only happy, but um, satisfied uh, in a way that no other dance form has done for me. So um, that's why I dance. This is why I dance. It's important. Yes. And for me, it's uh, working the backstage, what it's called backstage or photography, video, working with a crew who we've known each other for a bunch of years. It's just like a family getting together. And we have fun. But we I look forward to it. We work hard. Uh, we may bellyache about, oh, the lighting really sucks and the music's <laughs> off and this, but... Finally, you know, it's just we're all together. It's just uh, this huh, the theatrical family <laughs> comes together, whether it's in back east or Texas or wherever we go. It's basically about the same crew of people. So it's just, it's just getting together and seeing our friends. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's having uh, 
something to do for all these hours. <laughs> well, and that's who we miss, is all yeah. of the people that we've shared in this dance community around the world. That's who we miss now. But we they reach out to us, and I hear from Greece and Tokyo, is this really happening in the U.S.? Yeah. That, that's the politics. But, um, but the other thing is we both appreciate the dance for what it is, and we t entitle it The Golden Moments that we capture with the photography. Because sometimes I will also shoot um, if I'm not in the, the show. And there will be times like Jelena's show, Belly Dance Evolution, where we both can hear each other click, click. Oh, we got that moment. It's just so fulfilling. Um, there's one, she's the queen of hearts, and she's looking up. I'm sitting next to 20 of her relatives. And they're saying, Jill, Jill, go. And I take that shot, and it's a perfect one. And uh, she's used several of our, our um, shots oh, course, for yeah. her iconic posters for her show. And that's exciting. She's got another one coming up, too. She's, the Lion King will be her next one. Mm, yes, uh, that was very exciting. But also, I think I realized that you start organizing belly dance events a long time ago, probably as another way for you to see each other a bit earlier than retirement. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> to bring our friends together. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and create a full dance family. That's so beautiful. That's right. And it's just become larger and um, has gone around the world. Yes. And you're right. My dance students have become teachers in their own right and choreographers and mm -hmm. it's pleasing to see that that's it for today guys but before you go away don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends and if you post it on social media please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast thanks for being with us and i'll see you next week same time same place <laughs>